0: So this week, we are talking about AI-generated content. So generative AI models are quickly reaching the point where their work is indistinguishable from that of humans. This includes things like text and images, but it also includes things like 3D models, voice, and other media types
1: that were previously not possible to create without significant expertise. We can now amuse ourselves to death. And, and it's okay, <laughs> okay that, that we don't have imagination because GPT-3 and these other models will provide the creativity for us. Hey, this is Shree. I'm a YC alum and a research engineer focused on natural language processing for search. And this is Will. I'm also a YC alum and independent researcher who's worked across e-commerce, cryptocurrency, and financial industries. Welcome to the Technium, where we talk about the edge of technology
0: and what we can build with it, an optimistic look at the road ahead. How's it going, Will? How's it going, Shree? How's your week been? It's good. It's good. Just got back from a trip. And so I'm feeling refreshed and uh, yeah, ready. For refreshed to things
1: not tired, and you need a vacation for your vacation? <laughs> <laughs> That's actually my secret,
0: secret uh, answer, but.
1: <laughs> <right>. <laughs> Have you got, are you still a connoisseur of water? <laughs> <laughs>
0: yeah. Yes, sort of, but. Oh, uh, you hipster, I think I, you. <laughs> I, I realize I can't taste the very, very fine details of most normal sparkling water. So mm-hmm. today I got something a little different. It's called Sound. It's a oh. sparkling water, but it is flavored. So, yeah, I'm not going sommelier level. Nose what, is purported health with? Benefits. what is it flavored um, with? Sound? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> the sound vibrations. No, blueberry, cinnamon, and hibiscus tea, I guess.
1: I see. Um, so, yeah, But uh, the, the reason why I ask you about your uh, sommelier is that this time I am no better. I have Richard's Sparkling Rainwater, so, so beat Ooh. that. <laughs> I don't know where... Where like what the where the rain is, but I mean according to the internet, like acid rain is no longer a thing. Like we we solved that. Congratulations everyone. So I guess this is this is a a, a healthy, it's a good thing. I don't know. Join the movement. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> nice. Water. So yeah. so drinks <laughs> aside, oh so what are we talking about this week?
0: So this week we are talking about AI generated content. So gener- generative AI models are quickly reaching the point where their work is indistinguishable from that of humans. This includes things like text and images, but it also includes things like 3D models, voice, and other media types that were previously not possible to create without significant expertise. And so this is sort of an amalgamation episode where we discuss a bunch of different types of generative AI models and think about what they enable us to do today, which is already quite impressive, but also go through a few of the implications of what happens when everybody has access to this type of content creation power at their fingertips and, and, and go through like what would the implications of that be for you know other types of technology as well as like the economy and society and things like that
1: yeah i mean i don't know about you guys on the internet if you've seen some of these amazing results from a lot of these new ai algorithms and platforms like shri and i follow technology and shri is actually in this particular field and i mean i would say i'm amazed and when i Astrid, whether he's amazed, he's like, oh, this is amazing, right? So it's, <laughs> it's the, the type of things that computers are able to do nowadays are astounding. And I'm not just talking about like, whether you can like send a text message across the world, or if somebody like your spreadsheet auto completes your, your name or something like that, like these are able to generate images and videos and, and content especially, and that has been very difficult for computers to do before.
0: Yeah, it's it's really really amazing, and uh, what's also amazing is just like the the rate of development of of these models. I think that the reason why this is the right time to talk about the this particular topic is that generative AI models have been around for a while. So you know, some of the our viewers who are more familiar with this topic are probably have heard of GANs, which were a a type of a generative model, which was big. I think this came out maybe in like the 2015s, 2016 range. And this was the initial versions of this type of model were able to generate like kind of thumbnail size images of, you know, faces or cat or something like that. Yeah, um, I remember
1: that was just only a couple of years ago. It was like 128 by 128 pixel, like little thumbnail yeah. images. And mm-hmm. now we have yeah. like really detailed images that can get generated. It's amazing. It's just a couple. Of years. Yeah, so I think
0: that like right now, if you take the capabilities that are available from these models, I think that they're actually usable for a variety of applications, whether that's you are a company that is looking to generate some type of graphics that you could even potentially use to put on your website. You can you know generate text, certainly, that's usable yeah, for yeah. A, a variety of things right but and i think can you're selling it
1: yeah i think you're selling it short i think it'll just either augment people doing these jobs or it just replaces their jobs completely or they, <laughs> it makes their job like really maybe you still need a human in the loop but like it makes that job yeah. terrible because the computer took all the fun stuff out of it like nowadays like it used to be like copying manuscript was like a full-time <laughs> thing for monks and they get to embellish it and you know do it too. but now like that work is the work of a xerox copier and you still need a human in the loop to kind of like put the book on the scanning bed but it's, it's a really boring <laughs> activity like that's no full-time job but you still have to do it right? right so it could end up yeah
0: yeah yeah no i i definitely i definitely think that it is it is that's one outcome but yeah i think that i'd like to go through a few different tasks that we're describing when i describe ai content generation account you know, content can be any variety of things but i think specifically there are a few types of media which are now coming to the forefront of actually being feasible to delegate to these ai models so the most easy, actually, most trivial of which these days is text generation. It didn't actually used to be the case until maybe two or three years ago, but now text generation is sort of table stakes. We have uh, models like uh, GPT-3, that GPT-3 is a, is a transformer-based model from OpenAI, which we've referenced in previous episodes, but the, the sort of upshot of it is that you're able to feed it prompts and... GPT-3 can then generate text that is a response to that prompt so you can give it a prompt like write me a ad copy for this product that has x y and z benefits and then feed it feed that to the model and it'll generate an output which is supposed to be of the style of whatever you asked it and more often than not it actually does a very good job of matching that type of prompt
1: yeah it's almost Um, very sound science fiction like like it's I think the thing that it reminds me the closest of is either the computer in Star Trek, but even it's even better than that. It's more like Jarvis in Iron Man where you ask Jarvis, like, dude, set up this, like I want to design this thing, but make it a little smaller, a little bigger. And you know, you keep prompting it iteratively until you get the thing that you want. Like you're the one Mm -hmm. directing it with the prompt, but like the computer is doing all the low level heavy lifting of like moving the the design around. And it's the same with text. Like Mm -hmm. you'd say, write me a novel that starts with, star snoopy in an action film that (laughs) i don't know talks about lightning bolts and has science in it i mean i'm pretty sure that would never get green lit in any hollywood thing but with like gpt3 and and these like language models you can you can get these things written relatively cheaply right and and so Mm -hmm. with text you just generate me the text for this
0: yeah exactly and so going along with text generation the next common type of media that People think about are images and mm-hmm. images image generation has really really like grown exponentially in terms of its quality in the last couple of years. So last season we did an episode about DALL-E, which is a, a OpenAI model which generates images based on text prompts. And just a couple of months ago, as of this filming of this episode, OpenAI released DALL-E 2, which is significantly better in in a variety of ways, but specifically, it handles much more complex prompts and it generates images of much higher resolution. And then, also, right on the heels of Dolly 2, Google released an AI model called Imogen. And Imogen is very similar to Dolly in that it takes text based prompts and generates high quality imagery. But the sort of the selling point of Imogen versus Dolly 2 is that it's also able to generate images with text inside them so you can generate things like logos so you can say yeah you know generate a google logo that is made of leaves and what you know whatever uh, well the, the reason that?
1: why this was significant was like as amazing as this technology was like people were looking for like what is its limitations and one of the limitations is if you ask i think dolly right if you ask dolly yeah. to like generate an image like draw an image or like take a picture fake picture of an image like generate the image of a sign that says I don't know, open AI or deep learning, like it, it would really have trouble spelling it. But apparently like yeah. Imogen doesn't have trouble with that at all.
0: Yeah. And so I, I think there are still, you know, of course, more limitations, but there are few and far between. But it's really also amazing because these image generation, when we were thinking about things like GANs really early on, they were generating things that they'd seen in their training set. So these are things off of like the ImageNet libraries so with pictures of dogs and cars and this and that. Whereas, uh, so these these models are much more Abstract, So you can ask to, you know, sh- draw a raccoon in the style of a cartoon and, you know, flying through space or or in your case, your example of Snoopy, you know, the sci-fi Snoopy m- movie script to go along with that. Maybe you can ask it to generate a sci-fi movie Snoopy poster and it will do presumably the right thing.
1: Yeah. So for those of the listeners that are listening on Apple Podcasts or Spotify, be sure to join us on YouTube so you can see yes. the actual <laughs> pictures of, of what we're talking about. And so if you haven't seen it already... It's, it's pretty mind blowing if, if you at all had a, have a concept of what computers can and can't do. And uh, that that's pretty amazing. However, like I found that when I described this to a swath of my non-technical friends, I'm like, look at this amazing thing that computers and AI can do now. I met with like nothing, like there's no response. There's not a wow. And so my pet theory about this is it's kind of like the movie, the prestige where the magic trick goes by too quickly and people don't really know what they're looking at yet. And so I think it'll take <laughs> a while for, for them to understand like what it is that they're looking at. And so, for, yeah. yeah, for for those of the readers, if you've had experience like talking to people whether your friends or families, especially those that are non-technical about like AI, like w- what response have you been met with? Because mine has certainly been like, so, so what, like, how does this help me? And so I-, I think my strategy now is I'll wait a couple of years until their jobs have are- been in jeopardy. <laughs> and so then I'll-, I'll tell them more about it because like people don't relate yeah. unless it really influences them. So one word or another, but, but yeah, so, so, so what, what, are, what are the other types of things that this AI can do? Because like we talked yeah. about like text generation and image generation, like what, what other things mm-hmm. can you do?
0: Yeah, so so just to kind of breeze through it. One of the things that was really impressive to me is 3D scene generation. So there oh, are yeah, now yeah. models that you can take either, you know, a very short video or just a couple of shots of an of an item or a scene and have the AI model kind of fill in the details between the the images that that are provided and actually create a 3D environment. So you can for example take a few shots of some household objects and feed that to these type of models and, and actually get back like a 3d object. And this is cool because 3d modeling, you know, unlike text and images, which, you know, text is fairly easy, fairly common for everybody to produce images, less common for people to produce, but, you know, still fairly prevalent, but 3d modeling is a very, very niche type of type of creation. And it's kind of cool that potentially this is democratized through just an AI model
1: and a couple of pictures. Yeah, it's pretty amazing because like when it comes to like 3D content, I find that a lot of people have trouble visualizing 3D space through the flatness of their monitor. And so that's why there's like 3D like industrial designers are paid a fair amount of money because they can translate the flatness of the screen and the mouse to like this 3D thing. And so that's that's pretty amazing. And I find that it gets better when you put a person in the scene, like you're able to do in VR and do like 3D editing there, but even then it it still is pretty difficult because now you're working with surfaces and volumes rather than a flat thing. Like there's people that say that they can't draw, right? And so yeah. if you want them to like manipulate 3D objects, like that's beyond the realm of most people. But you know, yeah. like in a literate society, most people i think figured out how to type like you know probably through no help of the school system but because like friend people need like teenagers needed to text each other about like <laughs> yes, who's eating who on or like on im or something like that back in the day right. so, so i think that's kind of increased the 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 rate in which you know people can type but like using just a keyboard you can steer these machine learning algorithms to generate 3d scenes for you and that's pretty amazing because like if you're like typically for the vr or like 3d content generation that's typically been really expensive because it's a specialized skill held by a limited number of people and i remember when the first final fantasy movie came out people they just there were people that animated things that was only on screen for like a second or so and they're just like i I lost like weekends over that and so it used to be very hand labor like intensive And, and tools have gotten a lot better nowadays so that they're not doing that sort of stuff but but now it's that sort of thing is within the realm of people typing on keyboards now. Like that's how far things have come, so that you mm-hmm. can you can use that. And I think that's pretty amazing.
0: Yeah, yeah, it's it's really really crazy. And I I've tried to do a little bit of three D modeling myself, and I would you know, horribly fail at it. So yeah, I think. <laughs> so these models, uh, there's a sort of, they're part of this sort of a family of models called Nerf, and then a few descendants of that type of architecture are doing three D scene generation. And then lastly, sort of going back to the images. Oh. Before Um, we go
1: go back to the images, one other thing I wanted to point out with the 3D generation is is that uh, a lot of times it's filling in the information about an object. And why this is crazy is because, like, you can take a picture of the front of somebody and it'll generate what the back looks like, even though there's no picture to see it. That's how amazing it is. It's because, like, the... When the AI is training it, is being trained, it has, is being trained with a concept of what a person looks like in the front and the back or like various objects look around in the same way that you as a person growing up, like figured out that like, if you look at the front of something, you can kind of guess, guess what the back of it is like if, if it's a typical object. And so that's the sort of thing we're talking about, not where, you know, because like, this is even more futuristic than what was that Tom Cruise movie. Where he was like manipulating things, the like, computer, and by waving his hands in the air. Oh, a minority the, report. Yeah, minority report. There was a scene in there right. where like he's looking at his dead ex wife or something like that through a hologram picture. And yeah. and like it was projecting the picture as a 3D hologram in his living room, but like they were imagining that because the picture had no concept of what the back of that, his dead ex-wife looked like. Like when they panned the screen around, like rotated, (laughs) like it was just streaks, right? Like, because like they thought computers wouldn't be able to extrapolate or (laughs) like what the back of people, but turns out they were wrong. Like computers can totally do it. So that means that you can take pictures or or like a couple pictures of like your living room or senior room. And then in the future, you can use that to generate a living space, like a 3D space. And then you can use your VR headset to revisit it, right? And and yeah. so that's the type of thing we're talking about. So like i I think Shree right. is actually underselling it, <laughs> but, like what, <laughs> yes. what this thing is able to do. And and I I guess I wanted to like make sure to hammer it home. Like that's why this 3D thing is so impressive.
0: Yeah, yeah. No, I I think that the the key thing to remember about all of these things is that these models have gotten to the point where they understand the semantics of the the objects that, that they are generating and so by that I mean that like they understand what it means the concept like you said the concept of what a person is and and, okay they in the abstract that they have these features they might have a head they have arms and able to fill in information that they're missing and similarly for image generation be be able to understand the concept of not just objects but also art styles and the different settings that these these things may be found in
1: even like like abstract concepts that we typically as humans think of as abstract concepts like emotions and and stuff like that you can actually Mm -hmm. like the the embedding space, like the the place in which these deep learning models hold their concepts, they actually have places for them in which they can express it. So that's why we can ask them to generate like a happy picture or a sad picture or, or something mm-hmm. that we would typically think of ab- of abstract. Like they they would be able to do it because they have this concept.
0: Yeah, yeah, exactly. And I think that's a good segue into the last the last kind of interesting development is that we've been talking about sort of generation from scratch. So NVIDIA has. Been creating models that are heavily geared towards image editing, and so this means that you can imagine if you've ever you know messed around with Photoshop, and sometimes you see videos of people doing image manipulation in Photoshop to let's say make people look more attractive or whatever, or you know fill in mm-hmm. some features that like improve their hair or or, or whatever, Ch- erase some change, pimples, yeah, erase some pimples, all of that kind of stuff. Give me a stronger. That's actually quite yeah. Give me a stronger, <laughs> yeah, stronger chin. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. So all of these things are very low level and in that they work at the sort of pixel and co- yeah. color level and things like that. But like you were saying about these models being able to understand concepts, NVIDIA has actually a demo that people can visit called GauGAN, And what this tool allows people to do is actually paint concepts onto images. And so there, in this publicly released model, what the tool allows you to do is to paint landscapes. And so what you do is you paint regions and shapes on a canvas... And you say, OK, this brush color it means mountain. This brush color means a river. This other brush color means a forest. And you sort of create these splotches all over this canvas. And then it will render them into photorealistic versions of those things exactly where you painted them in on the canvas. And so you're able to generate like these, give it this semantic hint. OK, there should be a mountain here. It should look like this. And here should be a lake. And it should be next to the mountain and whatever. And it'll actually generate fairly realistic images from that kind of vague hinting
1: yeah i mean it's like Harold in the purple crayon in which you are herald with a crayon and you draw crude pictures and it's not the result is not shitty right like it, it <laughs> actually looks like what it what you would imagine it is and the the generation generated pictures are also consistent with our concept of the world and so i go back to the concept because like one of the amazing things is that if you have i don't know stones or trees in the picture like it'll draw the reflection in the water like if you add it there, you say like, "Oh I don't want a tree here, I want a stone, it'll erase the tree and put in the stone, but it'll also put in the stone's reflection in the water because it understands that stones have reflections in the water, it won't keep it there and so this is this is why yeah. it's so amazing,
0: yeah, yeah, definitely, and uh, they have a few different models, one is based on these landscapes, but there are a few other models which, for example, understand the semantics of people and cars and other common objects, and so you can feed a picture of a car and then sort of nudge the nudge various. Aspects of the car to make like the headlights bigger or whatever, the windshield a little more streamlined or something like that, and it will actually edit not just where you you sort of brush the image, but also change the other parts of it so that overall it looks like a seamless like a, how a car should. With picking up on the hints that you want to enlarge something or change the sh- the, sh- the shape of something, while keeping the overall look and feel of that object, you know, coherent because it understands what that object should look like.
1: Yeah, and so the theme throughout all of these is that like these. These language, or not language models, these like machine learning models are so good at fitting the concept of the real world into this embedding space and then be able to generate any type of media. Like it's, it's able to generate text and media nearly indistinguishable, nearly indistinguishable from humans now. And so that on its own is pretty amazing. But even more amazing than that is that this content can be steered from a keyboard in which most people know how to do. And it can be steered in different styles because it has concept of, of these abstract ideas of like what, um, different emotions are happy, sad. And like, whether the style is like cartoonish, impressionistic, like line drawings, that sort of thing, that that's all in there. And so it's kind of like these advances have come at us relatively quickly. Like if you told me that this was going to be the state of the art 10 years ago, I would be like, ha ha ha, (laughs) I might as well just like not stop working on whatever I'm working on and wait a little while. So Yeah. Yeah. And so that, that's, that's why we're astonished and why we're talking about it here on the technium yeah so for those of us longtime viewers here if you've been listening to our content and loving it please consider giving us a review on either apple Podcasts or spotify or comment on youtube and letting people know uh, we're all about uh, talking about the edge of technology and uh, talking about what the second like how it how it'll influence our future in the future <laughs> allow me to introduce myself. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. so anyways, yeah, give, give us a, a like comment uh, or a review and we'd really appreciate it. All right. So Shri, where, where do we go from here? Given that we have like these generative AI models that are so good at, at what they're doing and, it, yeah. and they'll only get better too. Right?
0: Yeah. So this technology is getting better and better. And I think that as it gets better and better, it will also become more and more available. And so that is what makes me really excited because if you just look at a model like GPT-3, which was released a couple years ago, OpenAI initially had it sort of under embargo. It was only available to the friends and people who were in the know um, who mm-hmm. knew people working at OpenAI. And now it's actually available generally for, for general use. And, and people are coming up with lots of very interesting use cases for text generation now. And so I can only imagine as DALI-2 as well as all these other models that we we went through become more and more accessible and then get packaged into end user tools what's going to happen is that the average person is going to be able to generate their own media and this is something that's like actually very very intriguing because it's this weird. was one of the yeah it's really weird right like it separates the class we talk a lot about on this podcast about end user programming and about how users are able to create their own software and software is is a specialized craft And now we're also talking about end user art, I guess, like people also being able to kind of go into crafts that were previously reserved for like experts and then make their own, make their own types of media. So I actually saw a really interesting tweet where somebody wrote their own children's book using GPT-3 to generate the text and then using Dali to generate the illustrations and they read this to their child which
1: I thought was really interesting use case for this. We can now amuse ourselves to death. And, and it's okay <laughs> that that we don't have imagination because GPT-3 and these other models will provide the creativity for us. Yeah, yeah so I mean, like if, if those listeners out there want to see some other examples of what people have been doing with GPT-3, like go to gptcrush.com, one word. That's just one of many sites that aggregate like what people have been doing with GPT-3. So go, mm-hmm. I guess it's, it's a free plug, I guess, for them. I'm sure there's plenty other things. But yeah, like like yeah. it's it's kind of in the same like I guess like maybe if we look back in history, where the equivalent of people that are there saying, "Wow, like the like people can write now, imagine all the things that they can do, not that they can write, like no longer do I have to like memorize my grocery list. Imagine like having been able to write it down, going to the grocery store, and then you can just look at your list. Wow, isn't that amazing? I mean, (laughs) that's the kind of level that we're talking about. But but I mean, it is a game changer, because like, other than text, like most of us are not very good producers of other types of media and content. And I, I think if there are there still will be a professional class of people that specialize in that con that type of content, Oops. whether it's images, 3d content or video movies, books and stuff. Just like, like just because we can all write our to-do list doesn't mean that there aren't any writers. Right. Yeah. But I think there will be a, a proliferation of uh, user generated content that is not just text and images like via Instagram.
0: Yeah, definitely. And you know, one, one thing that's interesting one use case is let's say we live in a world full of unlimited user-generated content one use case for this is to fill the metaverse so you know we we have the whole episode on the metaverse check that out we'll we'll put a link but you know what's the difference between the metaverse and a video game i've thought a lot about this like you know if you are just a player in a in 3D environment which is created by some creator somewhere, that's just a video game. That's not a metaverse at all. That's just, you know, you're playing the content that somebody else has created. But now, if we look at these types of models that we have, we'll be able to fill this, you know, virtual environments with arbitrary objects that are generated by the users or or maybe even scanned in by the users using something like Nerf, the the 3D scene mm-hmm. generation. And basically, we'll be able to get the the equivalent of, like you said, the Star Trek computer, or they have more specifically the holodeck, right? The holodeck was this yeah, this system in Star Trek where the users were able to imagine a scenario and then have all of the assets rendered and actually shown to them through some type of holograms or, or virtual reality. And we're quickly reaching the, that point where it's it's possible that you'll be able to just say, yeah, computer, generate me, you know, put me in a world that has like, you know, whatever, did, disney characters but it's a horror film or something yeah, and right. and then you'd be able to play that game i don't know why you would want to play that game well, well yeah but bar- barring
1: i'm sure disney will come up with some sort of like drm or something like that or like in a <laughs> congress yeah. to extend its copyright even more so that you can't do this but like yeah. technically it, it would be possible to play a horror movie with disney characters in it yeah so so um, to to destroy your own childhood i, I guess trial by fire so <laughs> yeah so so I, I thought that was interesting like i uh, think but, that yeah, go but, but but I'll go even further than that actually, because one of the things about game and game design is that it's it's a specific experience crafted by the game designer, and I think for those of us that play games but don't necessarily study its game design, it's a little bit is it transparent or opaque? It's it's hard to realize what they're doing to you unless you're like unless you take a step back. And so one of the things mm-hmm. that I mean by this is when you look at Nintendo and how they do level design, it's it's tends to follow a specific cadence. So what I mean by that is that in the very beginning, they will introduce a specific game mechanic such as like stomping on a Koopa or like you have those like springy boards or like even levers that go up and down, like whatever it is, they'll introduce that mechanism in a safe environment where like it's hard to fail. And then Mm -hmm. the second part of the stage, they'll introduce it with actual dangers like pits you can fall into. And then after that, they'll start doing combinations with other mechanisms that you've seen before with this new mechanism that they introduce, So they might be like introducing pits with like lava jumping out along with the springboards. And so they'll see like, oh, what's interesting combination between these two mechanics. And then at the end, they'll just like jazz it up (laughs) to to make it like interesting. And then that's when it ends. And so what I'm saying is that that experience from beginning to end is very deliberate. And it's almost similar to the way that people write symphonies where there'll be like a theme of this mechanism and they'll like start with it, it's simple, so you get a grasp of what it is, and then they'll try to play on different variations of it before Mm -hmm. like, and then before like jazzing it up. And so you can hear this in like typical things like Canon in D or like whatever other things, and they'll like go places with it, right? It's like a symphony. And so same thing with like omakase chefs, where they like pick the line of fish, like it'll have this sort of thing. And the reason why I'm talking about this is it's a very typically human thing for us to like deliberately craft experiences like this. And because these AIs are able to learn concepts and beddings like this is not beyond their capability. So they would be able to craft levels, not just like bring objects from the outside and not be, not just be able to construct them, but they'll be able to arrange them in a way that is an, is a fun and meaningful and delightful experience for the game players in the same way that like game designers typically do this sort of thing. Does that make sense?
0: Yeah, I think so. I think that I would, I would qualify this by saying that, you know, I I 100% agree, actually, with all the examples that you gave of these are each of those things are crafts in which the the delight and the the real value is in the higher level thinking of once it's easy to create musical riffs and Mm -hmm. and 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 things like that, then the real genius is not in actually being able to just transcribe some sounds into music, but it's actually thinking about like, okay, what would be the fun variations and the journey? that will will delight the the consumer. And same with, like, omakase, right? Like, it's not just yeah. cutting up fish. It's in that knowledge uh, about the journey. And so I think, actually, maybe maybe we will get to the point where the AI would be able to understand the concept of fun. But actually, the in, as things stand right now, I would say that, okay, let's say that you are a game designer who is, like, worried that, okay, these AIs can generate 3D meshes and 3D environments and et cetera, et cetera. Well, what's your niche? I think the niche is that... Imagine that you now had a hundred interns, like infinite interns that could generate arbitrary meshes and models and whatever grunt work that you never want to do in your life again. Yeah. Well, now the real opportunity for you is being able to piece those elements together into a cohesive creative work, which I don't think right now you would be able to just say, generate me a fun level to a 3D three D generation GAN or something. So even now in... A text generation example p3 will not be able to generate you an entire cohesive novel that has a nice narrative arc but yeah, yeah, you'll yeah. be able to like outsource the writing of paragraphs and maybe even pages and then stitch that together using your own human intuition i guess is where i'm going with that
1: yeah i think definitely now like I, I agree that it's it's a little bit beyond the the capability of ai but i, I think the thing that i wanted to point to was that it's sh- at, at least in the future like it should understand what the concept of what a fun level looks like and so i don't think it's beyond its capabilities theoretically anyways but like in the near term that's like right now it's able to generate like short snippets of image and text like it's it's not going to generate you can't say like write me a series of novels just like game of thrones or harry potter and it'll like generate that right. thing that's 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 not where we're at at the moment yeah, yeah. so when it comes to the user generated content i th- a little bit about whether we would as a population lose the ability to write well in the same sense that supposedly like taxi drivers, hippocampus is much larger because they have to do like spatial (laughs) navigation. And so most of us like rely on GPS to get around in our cars nowadays. And so I'm sure that it's not nearly as large. And so I, I wonder like would, would. I mean, like, it's kind of, or I don't know, maybe it's like the argument. I I know that when I was growing up, like, calculators were starting to be introduced in high schools. And there was this whole educational debate about whether, like, kids should use calculators to learn math. Because on one hand, like, it's getting rid of, like, basic, like, mechanical aspects of mathematics. But on the other hand, like, you know, those may not matter. And in real work, you're probably going to use a calculator anyway. So maybe it's more like that, right? Yeah. Yeah, I mean,
0: I think, you know, one thing I think about is that people are probably writing a lot more now <laughs> email and text yeah <laughs> yeah through like email and text and all these you know whatever so called like low you know right. lowbrow type of writing yeah, 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 than yeah, they yeah. ever were when people were writing whatever whatever yeah. it is that people lamented right you know the death of writing for right, um, right, right and so yeah i mean i think that probably the the basic skills if your definition of writing is like knowing how to write with a pen and, and pen, paper writing cursive writing is is a dying art form
1: but i think if you, I mean, if that, you... that's okay i i did you have <laughs> penmanship in grade school because i am old enough to have taken penmanship in grade school got a c by the way I... and like i'm glad that we live in the future in which all i have to do is type type yeah yeah i
0: mean I, I i had a cursive class and then i never used it after that but yeah so i mean i think that you know will people forget to write well i i've actually thought a little bit about this so there's there's a uh, writer or philosopher? Actually, he was a computer scientist, Norbert Wiener, who was one of the early. Yeah,
1: yeah. The this guy. Yeah, he was a he was a dick though. But anyways, <laughs> but he was a brilliant, brilliant guy. Yeah. But but he yeah. was insufferable, according to his biography. Oh, I see. Yeah, well, he was
0: you know very very early computing pioneer, contemporary of many of the the famous uh, computing pioneers. I think of the like fifties or something, fifties or sixties, and he wrote this this work called or this book called The Human Use of Human Beings. And he imagined that technology would free people from manual work and free them to do arts and knowledge work. But now we're going into these models where the knowledge work itself is actually being consumed by software. And so what does that leave people to do, right? And so actually it's kind of different from the cursive, cursive analogy because in that analogy, typing freed you from the drudgery of you know doing the manual labor of writing and freed you to the more conceptual art of writing. Now we've gone from freeing humans of the drudgery of doing the manual writing of cursive to, you know, free their minds to, you know, type and, and work on the, the conceptual art of writing to now you don't even have to work on the conceptual art of crafting sentences, but you even move one level up the ladder of abstraction yeah. towards I don't know, what would you call it? Like it's just giving the notion like you basically try to distill the notion of the message that you're trying to convey and then I, you I, just feed it to the
1: yeah, I almost think that it's, it's, what, it's the currency of modern art is the best way I would describe it in the moment. Like, modern art, I used to... I mean, like, a lot of people, they think it's, like, full of crap because, like, I could do that sort of thing. But I think, yeah. I think modern art, their, the currency they work on is the idea behind whatever material that they're doing and it's not so much the technical aspects because it used to be melded Mm. together where like you have to be technically proficient enough with a paintbrush in order to express an idea behind the painting whereas now Mm. i think people have tried modern art moves it so that does they separate like the technical aspect from the idea itself so that they can compose it of i don't know and they can pick up like garbage on the I think it was a one piece pick up garbage from the beach, paint it red and then arrange it in a garbage can or something. And then glue glued <laughs> on the wall. So I mean like painting it right. red and gluing on the wall is not technically hard, but it's the idea behind that thing. Or mm-hmm. like, what is it? There was another guy who had a sign that said banana, like $15,000 or some exorbitant, like 150,000 or something like that. And mm-hmm. And, you know, people raged about that and like bananas shouldn't cost that much, blah, blah, blah. But like, I think the thing is he put it in a farmer's market. And so that's why in that context it was like rage. But like I've heard the interpretation is that the value of that art piece is not the banana itself, but it's the sign. And, hmm. you know, the idea behind that particular sign. And there are even artists yeah. that like sell a space. Like that, that to me is like where it gets too much. Like <laughs> there are artists that like tape off a space in a public square and they describe in words what the invisible monument or like sculpture is Mm. and then people pay like tens of thousands if not hundreds of thousands of dollars for the art and it's the idea behind it and so that's i mean that's that's i'm not even talking about nfts guys (laughs) i'm talking about the real art world yeah we'll get to that (laughs) like this is the real art world and that that's where we're at right now and so going back to what you're you're asking like i think it's it's the like yeah, like everybody else gets to move in the currency that modern artists are already at, where they describe like that idea, which is separate mm. from its actual execution.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. I I totally agree with that. And uh, to sort of to use a term that is coined by Gen Z people on the internet, there's the idea of a, a vibe, and a vibe <laughs> okay. is like a, it's like a a, a a feeling, a message, something that resonates. You know, as sort of uh, intangible idea that resonates between people that can be conveyed between people. And, uh, wait, wait, so, so is
1: this, cause like I am not, I am what two, three generations removed from Gen Z. And so yeah. I like, you're talking to a person that subscribes to out of the loop to figure out like what the hell people are talking <laughs> about in retrospect. And so is yeah. the vibe, like, is it to describe like a trend or is it to describe like a more individual nonverbal communication between people or, or like what?
0: Yeah, yeah. It's supposed to be, you know, a vibe is a abstract concept or abstract feeling that is evoked within you that, you know, it could be a memory, it could be a feeling, it could be a an emotion or a common scenario that you see, like you're saying, art. I mean, the pr- the purpose of all of these artists is that they are basically trying to find a vibe, right? Like they're trying to use the medium in whatever way to evoke something uh, in others, mm. maybe maybe it is legible and like very clear as to what it is, like something like yeah. sadness or the sadness of graduating high school and leaving home. That's a vibe, right? Like this example, the uh, desperate be... cry,
1: the the cries of mass desperation, something like
0: that. Yeah, 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 exactly. That's a, that you 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 caught them quickly. And so, <laughs> so this can be evoked in a variety of ways, and. Yeah. You know the the purpose of of these artists, like you're saying, is to maybe to evoke that type of concept within others. And the the technical nature of the craft is less important, at least in modern art, yeah. than the what is evoked, right? Mm-hmm. And I think that so if I were to to step back, what is the value of a human being in this world where we have this type of unlimited user generated content? Well, the technical aspect of the creation of these images and what all the different media matters much less than what is the, the vibe that you can evoke in your audience using these tools. And it it matters much less whether it was you through your own hands. Did you write this text through your own hands? Did you paint this thing or take a picture of this thing? And matters much more, you know, what are, what's the message that you're able to to evoke?
1: Do you think that computers like using these like deep learning models wouldn't be able to get a sense of a vibe or like, because I feel like it should be able to get it.
0: Yeah, yeah. So like think... it it
1: shouldn't be out of reach of computers is what I'm saying because like you were saying like oh like at this current moment I think what you're saying is true that that like the value the not value of a human to these kind of knowledge work is is what you're talking about this like the the meta meaning or like some vibe, right? But like yeah. I feel like based on what I know about these deep learning models it sh- the vibe should not be out of reach in the future. Yeah, I mean
0: they're certainly able to capture abstract concepts you know like you know generate whatever in the style of horror film right and like mm-hmm. horror film again like is not a, a concrete concept it, it is a sort of it, it could be a type of color palette that's used a you know thematic imagery that's used all of those constitute so so maybe horror film is a type of vibe and yeah. certainly dolly too is able to pick up on, on this type of prompt mm-hmm. yeah i think so but I think that like, how does it read? How how does the co- specific combination of images read to another human being? I don't think so. So these are all prompted models, right? They rely on an input yep. prompt. Mm-hmm. And so I I think what you're saying is would be much more akin to a sort of unprompted AI model where it's able to imagine its own prompt, then be like, hey, I think this will be really cool for you.
1: Wouldn't With... wouldn't. I mean like you could conceivably connect it up to like a internet forum where other people are talking and using that as a prompt. It's way less specific, that's for sure, but then uh, yeah. be able to like gather that to kind of summarize and then use that in his, as an input imp- prompt.
0: Yeah, I think that it, it certainly could. And and one other way that to get to wor- what you're saying is to connect this type of these type of models to other types of Machine learning models, specifically things like reinforcement learning models. So reinforcement learning is a type of learning which is able to take action and then learn from the rewards that it, re- it receives to update its knowledge about the world and then inform yeah. its future actions. And so you can imagine that you have a reinforcement learner, which then you plug up to Dali or whatever, and then Definitely. it says, "Hey guys, like look at this image." And then depending on whether it gets like whatever clicks or impressions on the web or something. Mm-hmm. It can learn. Oh, yeah. Okay. People don't like this kind of thing, and they right. might like this other kind of thing, and then update its its sort of state and yeah, generate it, better, it, and better. I way. mean,
1: it should be able to operate on even more more than just clicks. It should be able to operate on just people commenting on it, right? Like the words and stuff. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Comment comments. I mean, whatever whatever arbitrary inputs. So comments, traffic. You know, basically, you need some feedback mechanism, like whether people like this thing or not, and then translate that feedback mechanism into learning what what resonates with people.
1: So you really could conceivably have a machine that either directs fashion or be able to like find marketing copy that works really well for your product. Yeah. yeah, actually it's really conceivable
0: in the realm of fashion because you know, if you look at the the way that fashion is going, especially fast fashion, there mm-hmm. uh, there are websites called like Shein and things which
1: are um, Are you up on the fashion world? read a little bit about it
0: okay, you know? <laughs> okay. <laughs> because i can't
1: uh, click i'm wearing a t-shirt that says control c right so and i, I don't know yeah. you to be
0: one but maybe you are and i just don't I know mean it. i'm wearing a sweatshirt that has a picture of a hair on it so i don't know but, <laughs> no so so my understanding at least in the abstract is that the way that that sort of just in time manufacturing and fashion specifically is going is that there are these sites where actually sometimes they will post a design before they even make the the stock of that that particular clothing item. And then based on the impression and the traffic and things, mm-hmm. then once the demand is validated, they'll actually generate the actual clothing. And so you can imagine being plugged into that type of system, you have some type of generative AI that can generate, you know, clothing patterns or yeah. clothing designs. You yeah. can just like learn, oh yeah, people are really liking this. And then like, and generate more designs like that. And then from that, once you validated the demand, it kind of feeds back into. Yeah, like, I, was, I was
1: thinking that like, it's not like beyond the current technology, because like, some of the stuff I talk about is in the future, but like, it's not beyond current technology to generate virtual influencers that showcase a t-shirt or like a design that you haven't physically produced yet and see what the mm-hmm. response to that is. Right. And, yeah. and be able to, because like, usually if you have a model and you have to find a location for a shoot, that sort of thing, that all takes like time and people. But if you can type in a keyboard and prompt to generate these like virtual models wearing a t-shirt of your new design like and you can steer like specific aspects of the scene then like you would be able to do exactly what you're talking about and maybe that would mean either maybe better treatment of fashion models because one of the things i come to understand about models is that sometimes it's easy to treat them inhumanely because like what people are after is a particular look and so it doesn't really matter like how uncomfortable you are as as a model
0: yeah and i but i think that this is the this is the right use of of these things like and yeah i'm also really interested you know if you if you the viewers are familiar with reinforcement learning other types of ways to give feedback into these types of generative models or you have some speculation about how we could allow these models to learn about how to generate their own output rather than being entirely human prompted if you have any ideas like that wild speculation definitely give us a comment write down your ideas we'd love to, to hear them and riff on them and maybe in future episodes as well mm-hmm yeah
1: yeah so then beyond kind of the the being able to work at a higher level like where, where else do you see this sort of thing going yeah i think that
0: one of the things that i'm thinking about when i when i imagine that content goes down to zero marginal cost is what does the implication mean for the sort of the economic value of this type of media and so one and this connects to a few other ideas, especially around crypto and NFTs and things like that. But one, oh, one, uh, our really favorite, interesting... <laughs> yes, it's been a while yeah, since you be... mentioned crypto, but uh, yeah, it's, it's back, favorite. it's back, it's back. So, so I read this really interesting article. We'll put it in the in the show notes. Where basically the, the 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 thesis of this article is that being cool in art is sort of about signaling difficulty of of the creation of that art, and so. Oh uh, uh, wait,
1: really? Uh, like in what way? Even though like earlier we were saying like modern art, it's less about the technical aspect, but like about the yes. idea. And so then like, is it the difficulty in coming up with the idea? If it's not like the difficulty in technically executing it. So the historical perspective is
0: that when, when the camera came about, then that plummeted the value in art that was photorealistic art, yeah. right? Yeah. And then that that brought on like cubism and you know all these other more abstract types of uh, mm. art. Uh, yeah, human the painters kind
1: of the basically move somewhere else in the search space of all the images. Like, if yeah. if like cameras were so good at like commoditizing this kind of image, like let's move somewhere where like it's less explored. And like, yeah, yeah, I can see, I can yeah. see them yeah. moving yeah. to that kind of part in the search space.
0: Yeah, exactly. And so this this article, which we'll link to, goes uh, what's similarly. What's called uh, Dali
1: 2 and the origin of vibe, Shift? of yeah, vibe yeah. shifts. We'll, we'll, yeah, 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 we'll yeah we'll link it to it in the show notes. But anyways, you were saying,
0: yeah. So so the main thesis is that, like, looking at it from the lens of, of web design, there used to be a time when high-resolution photography was was difficult to come by. And a lot of oh, the yeah. web had, like, big splash pages with mm-hmm. big, you know, high-res photos and things as backgrounds. Do you remember, and, uh, like,
1: what typically would what would be typical of that? Maybe, like, some of the early Airbnb sort of landing pages? Yes. Something like that? Yeah.
0: Yeah. Airbnb, I think, is, like, the classic example right. that they give a lot mm-hmm. of, like like apps had like, especially like Mac or iOS apps had like, you know, beautiful stock photography or like, a, a, or their product being used in some beautiful place. And so there are a few examples here, like path, I think was a, was a famous iOS app. It had like a nice splash page paper, <laughs> which is like oh, an illustration right. app. Oh, I remember that. That was like a very beautifully designed like iPad app. And they also used photography to great effect. Yeah. So basically that all got undermined by the, by the prevalence of stock photography on things like Unsplash, like sites like Unsplash and things, yeah. which basically made free stock photos, especially available to the common person. And then that created a shift towards illustration, hand-drawn illustration in, in mm-hmm. web design. So now I, we're still in living in this era where like now everybody has the blob people, right? Like yeah, this yeah. is like a common website design so
1: like i think if you look at like gusto i think gusto is one of those websites that have like the blob people maybe like yeah notion notion um, yeah notion yeah yeah yeah. and even then i've I've seen recent articles that kind of are trying to shift away from that because i think people have gotten the taste that like illustrations on web page denotes kind of the big tech companies and so Mm -hmm. that comes with all its negative connotations they're looking for something else and so these sort of things. like It's the typical like fashion cycle where when there's something new, people flock to it for various reasons, whether it's reactive or something else, and then once either too many people or it gets the thing some other people want to yeah. go out and find something else. So,
0: Yeah, and so now illustration is actually going going away because that will also become a little bit democratized in there, like icon mm-hmm. packs and things with these Yeah, yeah, and we can mix
1: and match that sort of stuff, right? Yeah, yeah, with
0: their heads and the different body parts. So anyway, like, basically now, if you look at the, the cycle of, of art and fashion as being a I like the word you use, like the artists going to the unexplored areas of the search space because one area gets too crowded because it becomes too easy. Mm -hmm. Now, what happens when the entire search space becomes too easy because you have
1: Dolly, you have these generative
0: models, like where can you run in the search space? Or does it mean that there is no place left to run?
1: Mm, Are you asking me or you have something in mind? I am asking you, but I also have something in mind. I guess we're asking our viewers as well. <laughs> yeah, I mean, like, I think, I mean, the only example that I can kind of point to is how people build brands. And because there's, like, a connotation for a specific thing. I think it was hard for me to understand mm-hmm. coming from, like, an engineering and Silicon Valley background. Like, when I watched the, some of these shows, like Real Housewives or, like, Shark Tank or something like that, and their value proposition is a brand, like, I'm like, that's mm-hmm. not where I would have went. But sometimes, like, a yeah. lot of, like... It, it, it's what you know and what you're you're used to seeing sort of thing right because i think where they're coming from is like if you're in an industry in a space where or you're already selling commodity products like hats or water <laughs> or whatever it is like what the right. the value for people buying that thing is not the material thing itself but like all the immaterial things that that conveys to either your social group or like other aspects like other psychological needs that humans have right and so like yeah like what is it vitamin water or like i guess nike is like these typical like brands that sell commodities like shoes Nike <laughs> sells shoes right. Coca-Cola sells brown fizzy drinks yeah vitamin yeah. water is flavored water i mean like the the value there for the consumer purchasing it is in the brand and what that conveys about to them and their friends and the people that they care about of yeah. what it says about them what it says about them to other people and mm. that that sort of thing and so you could conceivably be an artist or or like be an entrepreneur or hey yeah i guess an artist right like we're talking about like what happens when the entire space is commodified like would you be able to build a moat around a specific part of the embedding space to say (laughs) like this embedding space like i own i guess disney horror movies or maybe disney is is like drm so so maybe like I don't know what sure, would like be like.
0: animal cute animals in horror settings or something. Yeah. Like yeah. Cute
1: animals be. in horror settings. Houseware. Right. <laughs> that, uh-huh. that, if, if you're into that vibe. And so like, like whenever people think about that, they think about your products and like you own that space because like the people that use your thing, they have, they have a specific vibe, I guess. Like it says something yeah, about yeah. them to everybody else. Like what, what, what would that say? Your cutesy horror you're, you're a conundrum. You can't be put in a yeah, box. Yeah, you're, yeah, I'm yeah, horrific at the same time. That sort of thing. I don't know. I don't know if people want to be like identified as that, but yeah, but I definitely know that like some people don't like to be put in a box. So maybe they would adopt something as like cute horror as part of their identity. And so if they yeah. have that as an identity and you generate that sort of thing, people that they care about that, they are of that persona. And I, you can imagine like any other combination of things as stand-ins or proxies for the type of vibe that they mm-hmm. want to give off to the people that they care about so so you've, i think you've yeah. wholeheartedly <laughs> embraced this gen z word
0: i i i, I <laughs> young at heart, young at heart I guess. nice uh, even um, though i i don't practice
1: it at all like i'm <laughs> i'm for like wearing the simplest possible thing like a, a t-shirt and jeans and then subscribing to out of the loop so that that's <laughs> me over here <laughs> that that's a vibe that's a that's a thing that's Is a, it is it <laughs> um
0: no I, I so so i'm actually really really like glad you took it in that direction, because that's exactly the direction I wanted to go. Great minds, great minds. So, you know, the, this brings me to you know, NFTs. Oh, which, yeah. <laughs> like, you, you see the connection, right? So, yeah, 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 definitely. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, if, if the whole point of um, you know where can artists go in the search space is, yeah, they sort of maybe circumscribe some area of the, the vibe space as their own brand, and their own brand as a creator, but also the Brand or, or feeling that they evoke in their consumers, then actually the the actual creative output is much less important than the sort of the provenance and the history of Of the output. So for example, it could be easy for anybody to, to ask Dali to generate That type of art in the style of whatever f- a famous generative artist mm-hmm. But NFTs provide the scarcity layer and maybe the social layer on top of what is ultimately a commodity good, which is art and then provide, again, capture that value back in the NFT rather than in the difficulty of generating the art.
1: Yeah. I mean, I think, I'm sure there's a non-zero amount of our viewers that rail against NFTs. <laughs> and I, I think one thing that's to, to kind of like, we also have covered NFT in a previous episode. So call yeah. back if you got things to say about it, go comment it there. Like we, we can put a link to it. But yeah. I, I think one thing I'll say real quick about NFTs is that even in the real art world, like the art fraud and art copying industry have gotten pretty good i mean like the the duplication even though like duplicating a painting is relatively hard like it's for normal people like you have legions of like painters that you know want to make some money from duplication and they're able to do it and not always for nefarious purposes right like sometimes like you can have people that want to buy a duplicate knowing that it's not a duplicate but like what gives a piece of art, its value is not necessarily always that piece of art. So for in the actual real art world, the value of a particular piece of art isn't um, necessarily in the actual piece of art, like not necessarily the painting or the sculpture because like duplication is pretty rampant and it's pretty good it's that when you have that certificate saying that this is an authentic thing and that's that's when people are like oh okay this is worth a lot of money and yeah. so it's the same thing with the nft like it, nft may be a little bit disconnected but as long as like uh, from the digital art but as long as it, it like points to it and you have like ownership of that nft like that's the part that's valuable even if it is ultimately disconnected from from the actual piece of art and so it's it's a weird concept but like it's already happening in the real world. So, I mean, I yeah. don't see how it's a giant leap for NFTs.
0: Yeah, I think that's uh, that's definitely true. And um, I think that right now NFTs have captured... What's interesting about NFTs is that they're a kind of futuristic technology that exists now and that they're able to create scarcity. But there's actually weird sort of cognitive dissonance that you have to keep because, because the proponents of NFTs say that NFTs are important because they make what is otherwise infinitely copyable good, zero marginal marginal cost good, which is like images most frequently on the internet, they add scarcity on top of that, right? And the the sort of the weird aspect of that is that images on the internet still, although copies of the those images are free to copy, right? And so maybe you want a scarcity layer on top of that. The actual creation of the original image is still very much a manual process, right? Like an actual artist has to like you yeah. know, do all these things. But where I think NFTs were, like, can really add value is when art is completely free because anybody can just go ask Dolly to generate it. And then art, actually, the origination of art is completely free as well, not just the copying of art. And then the NFT actually has some value because the value of that art or that 3D model or whatever asset is the fact that you got it from this particular person. And not just that the, the art exists and you have an authenticated copy of it.
1: Yeah. And it's much like what you were asking about before. Like if everything, like the production of the art in the is a commodity, like where does value go? And I guess in art, it's not the picture of the, I don't know, like picture of the shoe itself, but like the origination of the shoe that's valuable or that you yeah. got it directly from the artist or something like that.
0: Yeah. And like, I think, you know, there are real world examples like, you know, Banksy and and things. They're they're more of a brand uh, that that you want to be, you know, you want the art to be associated with. And uh, regardless of what the asset is, its value increases when, you know, it's a potentially associated, you know, maybe Banksy, this is a Banksy prank, and then people will pay lots of money for it. And so similarly with that, yeah, I think a lot of art is going to be, uh, derive its value from the brand of the person who potentially created that.
1: And the, I guess the weird thing we're saying is that th- this can expand to all sorts of things outside of art as well. And what you might typically not think of being susceptible to these sort of forces. Mm-hmm. And so what, what are some examples you were thinking about?
0: Yeah, I mean, I think um, actually, yeah, a really good example is like 3D three uh, D assets, right? So you can, um, you know, you, you pay good money in the real world for, I don't know, like a, a crate and barrel like furniture because because you know it's maybe good quality and functional but also because of the design right and you can tell people oh yeah this is like crate and barrel or something and so yeah 3d models let, let's say in in sort of a metaverse uh, would you you don't have that constraint of actually having to produce a high quality piece of furniture or, or or object right because you no longer have the the cost of, of production of that thing and so you can you can maybe have the NFT that does it and and yeah, so actually, even beyond, and actually, even the design of that thing could come from the, from the AI model itself too. And then, so where does the value derive from? It derives from the fact that, you know, a particular person that you like, was the person who conceived that idea and then fed it to the the AI model and it generated it. And it doesn't matter what that object is; it's the fact that somebody, you know, maybe a famous streamer, maybe a famous whoever influencer type person, fed a prompt to Dolly and got, or or whatever 3D Dolly, and got back that model.
1: I think the weird thing for me is like when, when you get that feedback loop for the AI in which um, they're generating content that either influences other AI that mm-hmm. is generating content. And so when you get like a, a flock of mm-hmm. these AIs like riffing off each other, I can't imagine yeah. the kind of weird things that they would, And then we'd all go along with it because we think we're like part of the crowd influencing like what's hot, what's not sort of thing. But like we're actually right. getting steered by algorithms. And I think there's a book out already called like how algorithms like shape our real world and there's there's some of that already right and so yeah, yeah. yeah actually so this this actually literally happened um
0: so there was a uh dolly generated image of i think it was like a bat like a 3d bat or something and somebody thought it was really cool and then they they took that and they made it into a 3d model and so they they were already being influenced by but then also riffing off of uh, this this AI generated concept, but you can also imagine it can just keep going and going, right? Like th- this was a person who handmade that three D model, but it could also have been a person who used another, you know, three D object generating AI to feed that image yeah. into the and make a whole like end to end three D generated owl or whatever. What, oh, what did I say? It was a bat. Yeah. Yeah, and so so you can imagine that people just keep. You know, this is the nature of the internet that a meme spread right and people don't really care they don't question why they just sort of go (laughs) and say okay this exists like let me now make a remix this cool
1: i want to be and i'm part of the joke or like i I am in on it at this moment if i know i'm in and then if i'm if i'm in the know and it's already too late like i know when other people that i don't want to be associated are getting in on the joke so i'm gonna get out yeah. yeah that sort of thing so yeah and
0: so i think like this ai generated art AI generated text this fan fiction all these different things will get fed into this feedback loop of memification, uh, you know, that we're all familiar with.
1: That's so, I wonder if it'll just speed up because like things already move pretty fast that I don't even bother to like keep up with it as, <laughs> as I've mentioned over and over again. But like, I wonder if it will just only speed it up so that like the cool kids can't even be cool for an hour because things change so so quickly. <laughs> yeah, no, it, it's happening, it's happening. Uh, it's called yeah, <laughs> but then do you wonder if that'll also happen? Because like we talked about how these AI lets you generate Uh, media that previously were out of reach so then that means that those media weren't subject to these kinds of forces and so Mm -hmm. now they would be and so like the world that you and i delve in is code for better or for worse and so you could do you think that we'd be able to see these mimetic effects for code in which like ai generates like hot stuff or i mean like a lot of programmers are very fat i mean especially front-end programmers are very fat driven (laughs) um and and the the types of things that AI might generate as like a a new front-end framework package, right? Like, because it's text, like computers, like these deep, we haven't mentioned it earlier, but like these like deep learning language models can also generate code because code is just text. And so you could conceivably have like, I mean, it's not capable of doing that today, but you could conceivably in the future have it generate like a new front end framework, <laughs> yeah. And, I mean, and a landing page <laughs> that like hypes it up, and and then it becomes like a fad driven thing. Like, I, it, yeah, it'd be I some can... sort of cruel joke <laughs> for <laughs> for us working in the industry. But yeah, I don't know. Like, the, yeah, I mean, like we're laughing, but like everything we yeah, talked about so far, like I think that is a possible future.
0: Yeah, I mean, I think the closest we have uh, in code is sometimes you see these like starter
1: kits like it'll be like
0: react tailwind uh, whatever some new fancy other thing redux like starter kit and uh it's basically people who are like oh these three things are popular like let me make a github repo that has like th- all of these things you know somehow plumbed together and working and then like you can download that and uh, and make your own monstrosity of a web website but like i i think that's the closest we have of sort of this fashion
1: and well, today, today, well, today, yeah, today. Yeah. But,
0: but uh, yeah, but I think that those, whoever those people are who are making these starter packs, right. Are also maybe going to use AI generated code models to create even more bizarre types of code memes from first principles. <laughs>
1: <laughs> code memes. Well, we, we have code memes, but usually they're like useful packages. Like we use them for something, but I, I get the, like when I say like code memes, they're usually, I like, don't I mean, like, certain segments of the industry are very fearful of, like, what's next. And because they can't tell, they're just like, what What do I got to learn? What do I got to learn? So, yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't know.
0: Yeah. I, I, certainly, actually, I think in, in web design, um, if you have these things uh, generate CSS and uh, somebody comes up with a particularly pleasing looking, you know, CSS styling of a web page, mm-hmm. at least that one is immediately visible and yeah, yeah, and yeah. Then that can spread.
1: But then you can generate text, and so I can imagine that, like, somebody puts in an AI to say, like, give me something that is, like, a new Kubernetes Kafka, or, like, <laughs> right? Like, like you yeah. provide the prompt for things that you know would be nerd snipey, um, and then it generates the landing page and the potential code and package that people can try, or, like, <laughs> I don't know, like, what, what would it be, like, an uh, actor model-based Email client. I don't know. Like mm. I'm just making stuff up. <laughs> <laughs> I see. But I'm sure there's there's some sort of combination of those things because like now you don't even have to code it up yourself. You just have to have the idea of something that you know the HN crowd will go wild over, whether they love <laughs> it or hate it, and then be able to put it out there, right? Yes. Yes. I see what you're saying because like yeah, these these would be like the equivalent of the forces that we talk about with like the other industries like fashion and stuff. But I'm right. saying like if 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 like uh, the text and media generation is commodified then we would also be subject to these forces because like code is a very specialized thing now but if anybody can like Write prompts to generate code. Then maybe this is also we'd also be subject to it.
0: Yeah, I mean, I think going back to the what is the extent of the memory of these things? Like, uh, uh, I think being able in the same way that you can't ask GPT three to write you a Game of Thrones novel, yeah, like yeah, you can't ask Apple. it to yeah, yeah, write yeah, yeah. you like an actor based <laughs> <laughs>
1: email client or right. whatever it is. But you definitely, said. But they would be able to write the landing page for they'd it. They'd definitely
0: right? be able to write the <laughs> landing page, and then I think the other closest thing that we have as memes is you know back in the enterprisey Java days all the all the damn programming patterns, right? Like the whatever uh, gang of four oh, patterns. Oh, yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. You can imagine that people are using, you know, these like code generation tools to somehow happen upon like weird like patterns that the AI generates. And then like everybody's like, oh, I kind of like this, right? And then they just like start to, to propagate that and throughout all different kinds of code bases, which is similar to what you're saying, a little lower yeah, level, but yeah.
1: Right. Actually, I, I think one interesting thing that I'm going to draw an analogy to is like uh, some of the language models in AI have been leveraged to tr- uh, solve and generate like high school level math problems. And the target and um, goal is to be able to utilize um, these uh, deep learning models to help prove or uh, like help, help uh, solve um edge of mathematics like what professional mathematics are mathematicians are working on mm-hmm. and so right now like we have computer assisted proof with like the the provers like cox q c o q so mm-hmm. yeah that, that sort of stuff but um i think people are working towards that and so if you have that you could conceivably uh leverage it to work on problems of finding good abstractions for pure functional languages because I, I guess like one thing that people discovered is monads and how um useful they are. I'm sure there are yeah. others, and so could you use that to set up some sort of proof for, like, useful abstractions? I mean, yeah, that, that's yeah, a little yeah. fuzzy, but, like, you get what I'm going with it, right?
0: Uh, yeah, yeah, I kind of get Yeah, I mean, I think that's similar to kind of uh, discovering uh, you know, what is it called? Like, the programming patterns, like those game yeah, yeah, patterns. Yeah, yeah, like the design patterns. Design patterns. Like but, yeah, maybe if you apply it to some more particular languages, it, it can, they can discover some structures using the semantics of the language that reveal, like, oh, we can we can, you know, this is a new type of whatever process algebra that we can use to mm-hmm. to understand uh, whatever concurrent concurrent programs or something. Yeah yeah, 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 yeah. That could be cool. And then it's just a vibe, right? Like you just like <laughs> you, you didn't you didn't figure it you didn't do all the hard work of, of figuring out that abstraction. No, no, you just, you just had to have
1: the idea. Everybody's an ideal person now, <laughs>
0: right? <laughs> I like that. I think that. The, but but I no. But yeah, more seriously. Yeah, I think that more and more things all of this sounds a little little bit crazy but there's no reason why i think ultimately all of knowledge work is going to become just people searching a search space sort of searching through idea space trying to find you know an inkling of, of something promising and then once they find it capitalizing on it like whether that's making a selling it as an image or or creating a 3d model or you know implementing this as a design pattern in in programming languages like i think all of knowledge work is going to boil down to this kind of thing
1: I mean, at least in my head, that seems to be kind of what entrepreneurship it seems to be like. There's like mm-hmm. some search space, graph-like search space, and entrepreneurs are sprinkling all over and trying to figure out like what, what kind of hits and what doesn't. And yeah. the feedback loop is you have to talk to people. And so here it might be a little bit shorter because you don't actually have to generate, like you can just ask the AI to generate the thing and get feedback yeah. more immediate. Yeah, I wonder yeah. if that's mappable because like if the embedding space is standardized and mapped, then could you have like some sort of uh global monitoring tool to see like who stake out which part of the embedding space? So you can see like, like for a particular market segment, uh, like who's occupying that space because you can like hmm. maybe get sales data that is related to that embedding space. Because like if people are generating the ideas through that embedding space, if you can feedback the economic data from that, maybe you can tell. I don't know. Yeah. That's a weird That'd idea.
0: Be, yeah, that is kind of weird. It's kind of cool, but
1: I, I like it. I, it's kind of like a everybody 100%. get on it, get on it. It's it's <laughs> another startup idea. It might be six to ten years too early, but I don't know. Maybe... <laughs> don't, don't work it, on it just quite yet. But well, I don't know. It... I've been right. I've been wrong. I've been <laughs> early. I've been late. So you never yeah. know. Yeah, yeah.
0: So I mean, I think uh, that's that's my general take. The be very very concrete principles of like these are models that exist. These are they literally do these x y and z things. But if you if you sort of extrapolate out, like I think that they have all these different economic and philosophical implications about like, what does it mean to be a human and, and have produce meaningful work and things like that,
1: but it's not yeah. like too far of a stretch. And I think like, that's one yeah, of the yeah. reasons. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, it sounds fantastical, but like, I, I think we've, we've talked about in our pre-show, like how do we ground this so that we're not out there? And we decided, I think our imaginations are actually too limited for, for what the possibilities are here.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And so I think that uh, uh, I really wanted to do this episode to drive home this point that we are at, this sort of turning point, um, yeah, and and like you mentioned, and a lot of us
1: don't realize it. Don't realize it for those of us that work in tech, like not to speak of like the non technical friends that are just like, what?
0: <laughs> so. Yeah, so so we'd love to hear whether you think what we're saying is realistic or any skepticism. Uh, I know we've talked about some far-fetched stuff, and then also if you have any ideas about why you know I think the general public is not yet picking up on this idea, at least. From our perspective, uh, like me and Will's perspective, people are not yet picking up on this idea and running with it. You know, I'd love to, to hear any um, hypotheses there as well. But yeah, I, I think my mind is is blown uh, continuously. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I guess I'm chuckling because it's it seems to be an understatement, statement. And I, I don't know, like, are we... Are we overhyping it? Because like at every AI stage, like right before the AI winter, like everybody's just so optimistic and they got too optimistic that like everybody else is like, you guys were wrong too early. Right. And so maybe it's, it's in front of there, but like from, from what we can see, it seems to all be in the realm of possibility, what we're talking about. So I don't know. How do you feel about
0: that? Yeah, I think it's very much in the realm of possibility. I mean, these things actually exist. Uh, it's not like we're saying oh, they will do these things like ten years from now. They actually besides are writing a novel, right? Besides writing a novel, besides writing, writing a <laughs> yeah. novel. But like all of the other more you know smaller scopes tasks, they are able to do. Yeah. So I, I am. I guess we can we can wrap up with how do you feel about all of this overall?
1: I think both excited and apprehensive. I think. And, and and in both the small and the large and in the small i think for me personally there's been plenty of times where i'm designing a web page i'm like i need to do an illustration Ugh. <laughs> um, yeah. figma doesn't exist yet and i don't want to hire somebody because you know like it'd be much better to type out a prompt to give me something that like fills it in um uh, for that and I, I think it would be boon to uh game devs as well because you know a lot of times you download these prepacks to just kind of fill things in but you sh- would be able to have an ai help you generate your your art for your game and so like the possibilities for in the large is that everybody can work with their own jarvis and mm-hmm. so there are things that might be like your work might be interdisciplinary and might be able to have to draw on like different skill sets that are in your industry but not necessarily the thing that you do well and so for me as a web dev like i can draw but like that's not what i've been spending years like honing yeah. um it, And same thing with game dev, like one way or the other. And for people that are designers, you can like prototype like a game or like a website without relying on uh, engineers like myself. And so that opens up the possibility for everybody to do that. And I think the thing that's apprehensive is that this, I mean, given our current political climate and like the fact that when there's new medium, like people find ways to like do porn with it and then like abuse of like like power as a result. And so, like, we're just starting to grapple with the fact that social media, like, by now, is like a quaint technology for most of us. Like, the, yeah. the political sphere is still just like coming to terms with that. Like, right. I don't know how they're going <laughs> to deal with like deep fakes. I don't know how people are going to deal with like, um, like, just like mimified. I mean, like ideas—not about art or code, but about like how people should live their lives, right? And so mm-hmm. that's those are like big, big questions. And Propaganda, I don't know if, yeah, or like you know, like you know, the, the latest. Like we we generally don't talk about politics here, but like the the climate of like the the current and extrapolated into future. Like I, like yeah, I don't know if people understand the current media and future media enough to be able to, um. Uh, ward it off because like when TV first came out like people were really susceptible to ads but now like mm-hmm. most of us like understand ads how they work like TV ads at least right yeah. like um, most people still don't really understand like how online ads work and so we're still a little bit susceptible to them but like it, you know people get immune over time but like the technology comes at us fast and furiously and I don't know if like our social political systems have the resiliency for that at the moment so let's let's hope it does or we all gotta come up with something else so that's kind of the fearful part but like in, in the small in the large I'm, I'm generally optimistic Optimistic about our ability to do work do meaningful work and to be able to solve problems for ourselves and each other with, with this technology
0: yeah I, I think I'm very much in the, in the same so I won't repeat it but um, yeah I think that it's a good it's a good point I think when social media was coming up and and, uh, and a lot of the data collection on the internet was was happening this this was all happening in the late you know, late 2000s to 2010s. Yeah, people, but people still do...
1: barely understand that. Like regular yeah. people still barely understand the the data kind of collection that happens the, at these things.
0: Yeah, totally. And, and I think like the biggest, I think it, it came to people's forefront of mind through the sort of Cambridge Analytica scandal where people are like, oh, yeah. wait, like, hey, some stuff is happening here. And then uh, from that, I think stemmed uh, GDPR and a few other measures of, of restricting that type of activity. For the benefit of people and i think that yeah there might be a simple a similar thing that plays out here not to say that ai generation is nearly as you know divisive or, or potentially harmful as that type of data collection but i think what i mean by that is that people are going to start using this kind of under the radar to their own ends right whether that's to yeah. make money or to create art or whatever all the different use cases and then i think the general public is still not going to come up or to be become fully aware of it until there's going to be some groundbreaking thing where people are like, oh wait, we all of this stuff that we've been looking at is AI generated. And then I think like people yeah. are be like, oh, maybe we should consider the
1: implications of all this thing. <laughs> Isn't there a Black Mirror episode in which they have like a virtual politician and hmm. they had a team that was behind the virtual politician? But like oh. it would be like the but like that may not be far fetched enough. Maybe it's yeah. just that it's AI generated by a prompt by a few People, like Yeah, that's by like a thing? focus that's group the, or something. Yeah, 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 yeah something like uh, that.
0: Yeah, I mean, I think that's very plausible. And I think that, yeah, uh, my hope is by talking about this um, uh, to as many people, different audiences as possible, um, we can hopefully not have that Cambridge analytical movement, but rather yeah, to yeah, involve yeah. the people earlier in this so that they can yeah. benefit from it and steer it into more positive yeah, rather yeah. than yeah. imposed.
1: Yeah, like we're, we're not for like banning this sort of stuff. I think people have like this adverse reaction to new technology. I think a lot yeah. of it is education, understanding, because like all technology has its limits. And so seeing like where where its limits are, like. How how could it be used for betterment, and like where people are using it for, for uh, detriment? Like, how do we uh, nullify the effects of that? Yeah, so. yeah, exactly.
0: Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so we covered a lot of ground, but yeah, we hope you enjoyed this discussion. Leave uh, comments about your th- uh, how do you feel about this type of
1: technology, or likes, or share widely, or likes, subscribe, yes. hit the right, hit the ring bell, whatever. Yes. thingy. we really gotta us- work on our outro. <laughs> we keep <laughs> saying that every reviews. episode. Yeah.
0: But yeah, so that's that's another episode of the Technium where we talk about the edge ed- of technology and what we can build with it. Um, come back next week for another episode where we discuss another uh, exciting new uh, uh, trend in technology.
1: Um, that's right, and more references to previous episodes and more hee hee hahas along the way. So uh, that's right. Yeah. All right, so this is Will signing off, and this is Stream. All right, take care, guys. Bye bye.